last sermon that we delivered was uh, out of Psalm chapter 61, verse 2. And the theme was, and the portion of Scripture that we looked at and uh, tried to glean from, was uh, about when we become overwhelmed. And um, the psalmist said, when my heart is overwhelmed. And truly, God's people experience different times that they become overwhelmed in life. But the, the rest of the verse gave us the solution. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So not only does the scripture address the problem that we have, but it also gives us the solution for it as well. I want to continue on uh, the same lines with the same theme, and I hope it'll be a blessing for you. Galatians chapter 6 uh, we'll start with verse 9. We'll back up after a while to uh, verse 7 and work our way through verse 10. But I want to look at um, verse 9. Verse 9. And we'll sort of take it apart and look at it in different sections. I pray it will be a blessing to you. Paul gives us some really good counsel right here. He says... And let us not be weary. Anybody here ever get weary along the way? If you do, there's some really good instruction for us that the Apostle Paul gives us. He says, and let us not be weary. And then he tells us what we should not be weary in. It's one thing to get tired about uh, pursuing a, a variety of pursuits in life. But it's another thing to become weary in serving the Lord. And that's what he's talking about right here. He says, let us not be weary. And he says, in well-doing. So it's one thing to get tired. But he's talking about becoming weary in serving God. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And he says, there's uh, something that's going to occur if we continue faithful. Even when we might want to quit when we might want to pitch in the towel, when we might want to give up because of discouragement and despair, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season. Now, that is the Lord's timing. It's not our timing. The Lord's timing is oftentimes different than our timing. And so due season is describing the Lord's timing and God's totally in charge of that. But he says in due season, he says that we will reap. What does that mean? It means we're going to benefit. It means that we're going to bear some fruit. It means we're actually going to see and witness some fruit of our labors or the labors of those that are around us. He says in due season, we shall reap. But he gives a, a contingency to it. He says you're going to reap. In God's timing, if, now this depends upon you very much. He says, you're going to reap, you're going to harvest, if you faint not. A lot of folks get discouraged and quit along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's telling us right there, that in the midst of discouraging times, don't give up, don't don't quit, but stay steadfast in serving the Lord. So let's break it down and look at it just a little bit right here. Said, let us not be weary in well-doing. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to preach in Georgia to a group of ministers that were at a minister's meeting. And this is the topic that I preached on, not being weary in well-doing. And I realized after I preached on this topic that there were a whole lot of ministers that were going through or had gone through seasons of discouragement and becoming weary along the way. Even the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, and and I tell you, I like Paul's writings because Paul's writings are so positive and they're so upbeat and they're so encouraging. But the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 4 verse 11, he said, I'm afraid of you lest I have bestowed labor upon you in vain. What does that simply mean? When Paul was addressing the church, the Galatian church right here, he saw that there were many areas that they had fallen back into and it discouraged him. 
And he even wondered if his ministry was being used of God or being profitable when he saw the, the status of the folks with the Galatian church right there. And he writes a letter to them to encourage them and admonish them. Ministers go through great seasons of discouragement and despair. And there's a whole lot along the way that become so overwhelmed and so discouraged that they give up, that they stop along the way. What is it that keeps ministers from giving up or being overcome with discouragement along the way? It's a whole lot of reasons we might become discouraged. We might look at the situation around us. We might look at our own lives. We might feel like that we're not being blessed of God and and bringing messages that are beneficial and helpful to God's people. We might see the shipwreck that comes in in folks' lives that we've known throughout the years and discouragement comes along the way. Might feel like that you so and so and so and you don't really begin to see a harvest and you can become weary along the way. Parents can become weary. Especially those that have a whole lot of children. Parents can become weary along the way. They pray and pray and pray for their children. They pray for their situation. And they begin to wonder, is God hearing me? Is God listening? Does God care? Am I not praying the right kind of prayer? Am I asking for the wrong thing? Maybe you feel like that you might have missed the mark along the way. There's not any perfect parents. God blesses parents. And God overrules by His grace and mercy when we make mistakes along the way. But sometimes parents get discouraged. Now Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And he doesn't say that immediately he's going to follow in the way. He doesn't say that it's you train them up and then right then and there that they're going to respond every time immediately to the way that you train. That'd be a great blessing if that happened. And sometimes it does. I think it, I think it probably only happens to the Mosley family and the Clark family. I mean, they're doing a wonderful job training up the children. And it seems like they're very responsive along the way. But for those that maybe have tried and tried and tried, and you feel like, also Elsa, I could include your family in that as well. But when you feel like you've tried and tried and tried, and then you see your children making some of the same mistakes that you made, then all of a sudden you begin to wonder, did I miss the mark? But the psalmist tells us right here. He said, your responsibility is to train your children in the way that they should go. And he says, and when he is old, doesn't say how old, doesn't say if they're 16 or 18 or 21 or 40 years of age. But he says that when they're old, he will not depart from it. Sometimes it is in their youth, but sometimes it's later on in their life. But if you train them in the way, There'll come a time in their life. There'll be an experience in their life that will cause them to go back and remember the teaching and training that you've given them. As a parent, you may witness it. As a parent, you may not. But you have the promise that God has given that when they become old, they'll not depart from it. You may become weary at work. My sister's a school teacher. Elsa's a school teacher. And she begins to tell all of the different challenges that they face with the, the children and, and, and children that, that don't have homes that they come from and that don't have families or don't have fathers and, and the variety of challenges that children face. And she goes home and, and is, is so distraught because of the situations that she sees and experiences on a daily basis. You may become weary at work. 
You might become weary because you say, this is not the America that I was born into. Now these young folks may not understand what we're talking about right here. But I tell you what, I'm so old that when they started uh, at the public school, we started every day with a prayer over the loudspeaker. You know what a loudspeaker is. Uh, throughout each classroom, someone was called to the principal's office and you would read a scripture and would have prayer. And we began our days with scripture and prayer in public schools. It's not the same world that we were born into. It's not. And when you see the decline and the decay of the moral values that, that parents have taught families and that have been taught in years past, and you see the decline and the decay that's happening all around us, that in itself can, because us, can cause us to become weary along the way. And then lastly, if that is not enough to cause us to come weary. We don't have to look very far until we look at our own lives. When we start out, we have big plans. We think we're going to change the world. I remember when Elder Mike Rogers and I were ordained into the ministry, we were young and naive. And we claimed the verse uh, in, uh, in Psalms, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we said, you know what? We want to be visionaries. We want to have the right vision. We want to be overcomers. But then after you tack a few years onto your life, you look back and you see where sometimes that vision gets a little dim along the way. And you see where maybe you've missed the mark. Not a few times, but many times along the way. And you look back at life and you sometimes say, if I had it to do over, there's a whole lot of things that I'd do differently. So you don't have to look very far before we become weary along the way. But he says something right here. He says we're not to be weary. And he tells us right here, we're not to be weary in well-doing. What's that mean? That means, number one, going to church. That's well-doing, is it not? Being in the house of the Lord, with the Lord's people. You're going to receive a blessing and you're going to be a blessing. If you're in the Lord's house. That's a good thing to do. Be in the house of the Lord. That's, that's doing good. He says be not weary in well-doing. What's another good thing to do well? It's, it's reading God's Word. A whole lot of things you can read. You can read a whole lot in the newspapers or on the internet. But one of the things that, and, and, and some of the things that you might read are questionable about whether they're good or not. But every time you read God's Word, it's always good. And what he's saying right here is don't become weary in doing good or reading God's Word. Another good thing that we can do is encouraging one another, ministering to other folks, looking for opportunities to minister and use the gifts that God has given us to help others along the way. That's a good thing. And he says right here, not to become weary in doing good. Now, I'm convinced that one of Satan's greatest attacks upon Christians, whether it's ministers, whether it's parents, whether it's brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's Christians in general, I am convinced that one of Satan's greatest tools is that of discouragement. Because if Satan can discourage us along the way, then his greatest desire is that we, what the scripture says, that we faint. What does that mean? It means we toss in the towel. It means we give up along the way. Satan wants to convince us. Is it really worth it to serve God? Is there really a benefit in serving God? You can run over and write down and claim Psalm chapter 73. The individual Asaph that wrote Psalm 73 said, I begin to look and, and admire and consider the prosperity of the wicked. You ever done that? 
You look at the people in the world and he said, I saw them and it looked like that, that they had all the prosperity that there was. And he said, for a little while, I began to ponder and think that I might want to live their life. He said, but I went to the house of God, the sanctuary of my God. And he says, then I understood their end. I want to tell you, one of the things that I remember about hearing messages on a regular basis is it would it would bring me back to a reality check. It would. Maybe there were things that I was struggling with or things that I was pondering in my life. I can remember this in the young years. And all of a sudden, a message would be proclaimed that would correct my thinking. I lived out in the world all week long and, 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 and I was able to come to the house of God. And that's what the psalmist said right here. That's what Asaph said. He says, when I went to the house of my God, then I understood their end. He said, it wasn't quite as glorious as what I thought it was. He said, I could see further down the road. So Satan's fiery darts, one of the greatest fiery darts, is to cause us to become discouraged. Now... God knows our discouragement. God knows when we become weary. And here's what the psalmist said, David. He says in Psalm 139, all of 139 is outstanding. Go home and read it. It'd be a blessing to you. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows you better than anybody else. God knows all there is about you. God knows your thoughts. God knows your actions. God knows what you're thinking right now. You may be saying, I I, I wish it was 12 o'clock. Well, God knows that if you are. God knows everything there is about us. So it's good for us to know that, that God knows. And not only does God know, but God cares. Look what he says right here. O Lord, thou hast searched me and thou hast known me. Now, I'll tell you what, there's a part of that that I don't like. Isn't there something about you that you wish God didn't know? God knows all there is about you. But you also have a merciful and a gracious and a loving God. And for that, we can rejoice. You also have a wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for those sins that you wish God didn't know about. They're already been paid. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't charge your sins against your case because he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's good news for us. He says, thou knowest my downsetting, thou knowest mine uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and thou art acquainted with all of my ways. He says, there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. The psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He says, it's high and I can't even attain it. I can't even understand it. And he goes back and he says, even when I was being formed in my mother's womb, you knew all about me. And then when I was born, and then throughout all of my life, oh God, you know all there is to know about me. So if you ever become weary along the way, if you ever come discouraged and perplexed, God knows about it. And God cares. And here's just something to remember. In John chapter 10, we're told... That we're his sheep. And he says that we're in the hand of Jesus Christ. And then he says, my father which gave them me is greater than all. And we're in the father's hand. So if you realize that even though we may become discouraged along the way. What your position is. It'll help you just in that light of being encouraged to know that you're in the hand of God. And that Satan can only throw so many fiery darts of discouragement along the way. All right, the next part that I'd like to look at. He says uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 6, Let us not be weary in well-doing. We've seen that becoming weary in well-doing 
is, is a reality. We experience it along the way, but we're not to, not to pitch in the towel. We're not to quit along the way. But he says, in due season. In due season. Now, in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about in chapter 3, he says, to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And he goes through and he, he lists a whole lot of things right here that, that happen in, in their time or in their season. He says, there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up that which is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. He goes on down and he talks about that there is a season or a time. Now, right here, he tells us in due season. Years ago, I received a phone call from my sister, and my little nephew was um, about four years old, Justice. And they had moved the year before from uh, El Paso, Texas. If you've ever been to El Paso or know anything about El Paso, the sun shines probably. 366 days out of the year. A little bit more. The sun shines all the time. It's hot. It's dry. But you always see the sunshine almost every day. Rarely ever rains. You can Google it and see that there's very little rain that occurs in El Paso, Texas. And my little nephew was born there. And he grew up there and for the first three or four years of his life. And he enjoyed playing outside. He enjoyed playing by the swimming pool. He enjoyed riding horses with his dad. He enjoyed playing ball games outside. And they lived their life outside. And then he was in for a traumatic experience. They moved to the mountains of Colorado. And when they moved there, it was about October... November, and the first thing that greeted them when they arrived was a big snowfall. And he'd never seen snow. And then it just continued to snow. Month after month after month, they didn't see the ground, they didn't see the grass. And about April, he went into his mother and he was crying. And she said, What's wrong? And he said, are we ever going to see dirt and green grass again? Well, the timing was not what he wanted. He was excited about a snowfall for the first month or so. But when it just went on and on and on, he began to get overcome with despair and distraught and wondered Is it ever going to end? I have to tell you, there's some things that are going on that I don't know about you, but I just wonder, is it ever going to end? I mean, I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to getting back, not to the new normal. I'm not in favor of a new normal. I want the old normal. I want to get back to what we experienced a year ago. For everybody. Now, God is in charge. God can make that happen and bless it to happen. But I'm not looking forward to the new normal. I'm looking forward to the old normal. But you know what? God is in charge of the timing. He is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, first three, chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says that. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but he says it is God that gives the increase. God's in charge of the increase. We don't have control of God's timing in in the increase. 
But there is something that we do have some control over. One of the things is the legacy that we're building and that we're going to leave for those that are around us. Brother Mark, I'm sure you're very concerned about the legacy that you're going to leave all these children. Last night, we were in the basement and there were all these children playing around, having a wonderful time from almost an infant on up. And I looked at Brother Mark and I said, you know what, I believe... I believe all these folks are related to you. He said, well, if they're not, they will be tomorrow after the wedding. You know, when that's the case, you're kind of concerned a little bit about the legacy that you're going to leave behind along the way. God calls us to set an example, to be an example. And one of the great blessings that we can be to others around us is to be an example that others will receive encouragement by along the way. We may not have char- we may not be in charge of God blessing with the increase per se. And he tells us that in due season and God is in charge of the due season. But he says, if we will not become weary, if we'll not faint along the way, that we're going to reap. And what we are in charge of is what we reap. Brother Tom Reeves was a master gardener and, 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 and it was an art for him. But he would go out and he'd plant tomato plants and, and he didn't expect to harvest peppers. He knew that when the tomato plant began to bear fruit that he would gather tomatoes. He didn't plant beans and expect to go out there and pull squash off the plant. If he he planted beans, he fully expected that at the appointed time in due season that God would bless with the increase and at that point in time He could expect a harvest of exactly what he planted right there. So here's what the meaning is of that. Let's back up just a little bit to verse 7. Be not deceived. Anybody ever been deceived? If Satan's ever worked on you, you've been deceived. Paul is saying just don't be deceived. And he says, here's the lesson right here. Be not deceived. He said, God is not going to be mocked. We've already read that God knows everything. God sees everything. God hears everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our actions. He says, don't be deceived because he says, you're not going to mock God. Look what he says right here. For whatsoever man soweth, That shall he also reap. You may not be in charge of the amount of fruit that's born. God is the one that gives the increase. But you have a great role in what you reap down the road. And and, and, and a whole lot of it. Depends on what you're sowing right now. Now look at what he says. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life ever everlasting. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the temple of God and, and how that we're to care for the temple of God and that we reap what we sow, even in caring for the body that God has given us right here. I remember a lady that uh, was uh, a friend of mine that was a a real heavy smoker. And in her old age, she became stricken with lung cancer. And I remember her saying to those that were around her, she said, I don't know why God did this to me. Well, God didn't do it to her. If we put anything in our body that God didn't design to go in our body, we shouldn't be surprised when it backfires on us at some point in time along the way. That's anything that we do. That's anything that we do that God did not design for us right here. Look at what he says. He says, 
And let us, uh, he says, for he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Okay. Have you ever known anybody that you look at their life and their life is just constant chaos? It's trouble on every hand. It doesn't matter. They have trouble at work. They have trouble with their family. They have trouble with, they can't even get along with themselves a lot of times. You find somebody that is overcome with bitterness, with anger, with resentment, with malice, with envy, that are overcome with those items right there. And you'll see that it affects every aspect of their life. And if it's not addressed, and if it's not changed when they're young or when they're middle-aged, then they're going to wake up someday and they're going to be a better old woman or a better old man. Not going to change. Why is that? Because we're going to reap what we sow. We are. So we are very much in charge of what is reaped, what we reap along the way in... Um, Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 he tells us right here he says let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying what does that mean it just simply means that what we say ought to encourage and build up other people that's what it means that what we say should be a blessing to other people He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of her mouth, but that which is good to the use of building up or edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. My mother used to say, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. You know, I wish I'd have held to that. I wish I had. Uh, We had an old sister here that lived to be almost 100 years old, Sister Barbara Dixon. And she said, before she died, she said, sometimes the best words said are the ones left unsaid. So it just simply means we shouldn't always say everything that we think. We should run it through this filter right here. He said, but that which is to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, that it'll be a blessing to them. And then he gives us some really good instruction right here. Let all, anybody here have a little bit of bitterness that you're carrying along with you? He doesn't say let some or the vast majority or the most part. He says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now I want to tell you a solution for dealing with bitterness. An old minister, a wise minister shared this with me. And it works. It works. He said, you can't be bitter against somebody and pray for them at the same time. Mm -hmm. You start praying for them. And it's amazing how God will take that bitterness away from you. You start praying for them. He said, you can't be bitter and pray for them at the same time. Do you know what? I have to tell you, I tried it, and it works. It does. He says, let all bitterness and wrath. How about some non-forgiveness? Anybody say, I've been greatly offended in my life. And have to get up in the morning and go down a checklist of things that they're supposed to be offended for and by. He says, we're to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We're to put those things aside. If we don't, don't be surprised when we wake up someday and we're a bitter old man or a bitter old woman. Or we can be like this. He says, and be ye kind. Here's the prescription right here. This was the favorite verse or one of the favorite verses for Elder Compton. And he lived, he did, this was not only his favorite verse, but he lived by this verse. He says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So he tells us right here that when we're sowing the seeds, and we're sowing them right now, We're sowing them in our life right now. 
We're to sow seeds that are of kindness, that are of goodness, to be tender-hearted, to be forgiving, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and evil speaking. And he basically says, God is going to bless you in that. Now, in due season, sometimes we experience firsthand that harvest. And sometimes that harvest continues on even long after we're gone. How many here were influenced and impacted greatly by the life of Elder Thompson? Wouldn't you say he had a positive impact on your life? He was here almost 50 years. And he touched lives in a positive way. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. He says, For they shall rest from their labors, but their works do follow after them. They continue on. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing right now is going to affect other folks down the road. Here's a couple of positive examples. Elder Compton lived by this verse right here. Horace Jackson lived by this verse right here. He was all about doing good for others. Sister Perry lived by this verse. And you saw the result of that when she was an old lady. And I mean really old. Lived to be 104. She was still rejoicing in the Lord and had such a sweet, sweet spirit about her. Because God had blessed her to put those things aside. And then I'll share one with you that Brother Mark and Sister Charles are very familiar with. Last night, we were having a real sweet time talking about their mother, Sister Laura. And we were talking about what a blessing that she was. And her daughter, Brenda, said, Mom mom had plenty of things that she could have been upset about, but she chose not to. You know what? You've got plenty of things to be upset about. But it's your choice of what you're going to sow. Are you going to sow seeds of anger and bitterness, of non-forgiveness? Or are you going to sow seeds of kindness, minister grace to the hearers? I'm going to tell you what the Scripture says. You're going to reap what you sow. You are. Now, lastly, the psalmist said, or David, uh, Paul said, we shall reap if we faint not. Mm-hmm. Lamentations chapter 3, if you want to go through and read that, Jeremiah was greatly discouraged. And he said, I was discouraged with all the things that were going on around me. And he says, then all of a sudden, he said, I remembered something. And he said, it pulled me out of my discouragement. He says, I thought back and I didn't have to think back very far. And I remembered the mercies of God upon my life. And he says, then I saw something and I was reminded that when I see the sunshine every day, that the mercies of God are new every day. He says, great is not my faithfulness, but great is thy faithfulness. And he says, all of a sudden, it pulled me out of this season of despair. When I saw the goodness and the faithfulness of Almighty God, great is thy faithfulness. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1, he says that um, we're to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of, of, of water. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's another good thing that we shouldn't become weary in well-doing. And he says, and he, this individual that meditates on the things of God, the law of God, the statutes of God, he says that he shall be like a tree that's planted firmly planted by the river of water that bringeth forth fruit 
Don't you want to bring forth fruit? Listen, God has you here for a reason. God has you here for a season. He tells us that our years and our days are generally three score and ten. That's 70 years. And by reason of strength, by the reason of God's strength, not ours, He says we might have four score years, but He says those extra years sometimes come with much labor and sorrow along the way. But God has called us here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to honor Him by bearing fruit and bearing much fruit. And He gives each one of you talents and abilities and gifts to use for the purpose of bearing much fruit. And that ought to be our greatest desire, no matter what phase of life that we're in. Let me tell you, it's great to have all these young folks here this morning. And the ones that are really, really young, like Asa and, uh, and, 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 and all of, uh, all of the, the little ones that are here today. But if you, can, if you can get this lesson, if you can grasp this lesson in your youth, it will make an impact upon the rest of your life. If you make a commitment to serve God and bear fruit and use your gifts to honor the Lord, it'll make a difference in your life for the rest of your life. And not only will it make a difference in your life, but God will use you to make a difference in the lives of others around you. Now you can choose this day who you're going to serve. Joshua said, as for me and my house. He says, I don't know about the neighbor down the street. I don't know about the other kids at school. He says, I'm not, I I, I can't, I can't, I can't have, maybe I can't have a positive influence on those folks. But he says, as for me and my house, he says, we're going to serve the Lord. Brother Luke went down to Alabama. And you know what? Those folks fell in love with him so much, they want him to come back. You know why they want him to come back? Because he set a godly example to the young folks that were there. And I'll tell you what, I can just expect that the parents of those children want Luke to come back as well. Why is that? Because the parents and the children are looking for godly examples for their children to follow. And you can be that example. You really can. Don't play with sin. Don't flirt with it. Don't try to be a friend to it. But you be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will bless you for it. He really will. You'll make a huge difference in the lives of others if you'll do that. You really will. Well, so many other, so many other verses of Scripture that will be a blessing to you. We got to wrap it up because we've got a wedding to get ready for here in a short time. But uh, they're not going to get married without us, I don't think. So uh, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here in just a few minutes. All right, Psalm uh, Isaiah chapter forty. Isaiah chapter forty. Great, great chapter. He's. I, I like this. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A message right in that. But this chapter, Isaiah goes through this chapter, and he just simply reminds us that God is in charge. You know what? I get a little bit discouraged and sometimes a little more than a little bit discouraged about all the stuff that's going on around. And then I remember something. God's in charge. These folks are not surprising God by what's going on. And their day is coming. It is. And I may or may not see it. But God's in charge. He says right here, he's in charge and he's looking down upon this earth and he says all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He says, he's basically saying we're so small and God is so big. But then he says right here and he, he, the whole chapter is really, really good. It's real good. But then he comes and he says, verse 29, you say, I hear it. I know it. I believe it, brother Stephen. And most of the time I'm encouraged and I want to be encouraged and I want to be an encouragement to other folks along the way. But about Tuesday or Wednesday, it kicks in. And if not, by Thursday or Friday, I'm getting pretty down. Well, this is for you if you happen to get that way. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. 
I want to share with you a lesson that I've learned by experience and by God's Word. The Apostle Paul says that when I'm weak, then am I strong. And Paul is telling us that that I'm not strong enough to overcome all this myself. That my strength, if I have any strength at all, is not in me, but it's in the Lord. So you're saying, how can I do this? How can I, how can I have this mindset? How can, I, how can I set my life in this direction? Remember that we don't have the strength to do it, but we do have the strength through God. But God. He says, He giveth power to the faint. What is it that the faint need to keep from fainting? They need some strength. They need some power. And he says, He giveth power to the faint. And to them that hath no might, He increaseth their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But he says, But, but they that wait upon the Lord. There's our solution right there. You say, Well, God, I wish your timing was more like my timing. Well, Maybe God is teaching us something in that time frame. Oftentimes, God teaches us lessons during that due season or that period of time before God grants deliverance. He says right here, but they that wait upon the Lord. Now, let me just toss this in so that you don't misunderstand this verse right here. That doesn't mean. That we wait on the Lord and we just sit down and we do nothing. Doesn't mean that we hit the pause button and we just say, well, I'm going to wait for the Lord to come and deliver me. Here's what it means right here. It means that while we're waiting on the Lord to guide us and lead us and deliver us. That we are committed to doing everything that he's given us light to do. It means we're committed to praying to Him, to looking at God's Word, to seeking God, and asking God to intervene in our lives. And it means we're doing all we know to do while we're waiting on the Lord. You can wait on the Lord, and you can be just as busy as you can be, doing all that God has given you to do while you're waiting on the Lord. But it doesn't mean that we sit down and don't do anything. And here's what he says. But they that wait upon the Lord, it says that the Lord shall renew their strength. Now that's encouraging to know that God is mindful and God cares and that God has promised that, yes, you may become weary, but you look to the Lord. You may be looking for deliverance. You may be looking for the Lord to intervene. And, and while you're looking to the Lord, and while you're doing everything you know to do, and that God's given you light to do, you're waiting on God. And he says, the promise is, I love this right here, that the Lord is going to renew. What does that mean? It, what does that mean? It means that you had it once before. It means at one time, you were rejoicing in the Lord. At one time, you knew the right path. At one time, you were headed in the right direction. At one time, you felt like that you could overcome the enemy along the way. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give that to you again. And he says, they're going to renew their strength and they'll mount up with wings as eagles. Now, what does that mean? It just means... Brother Danny was talking about the other day that he saw a bunch of eagles and, and sees them occasionally. And, they, and one thing about them, they're very swift, they're very fast, and they fly very high. Now, wouldn't you like to fly very high above your troubles? I mean, when I get real discouraged, it's when I'm just standing here looking around at all my troubles. But when I'm looking to the Lord, somehow He blesses me to be above those challenges. Look what he says. And those that are waiting on the Lord, he's going to give them strength. And they're going to mount up with wings as eagles. And then this is how he says, this is how we're going to be. And they shall run and not be weary. 
and they shall walk and not faint. Great encouragement for us in Galatians. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, that's God's season, we shall reap if we faint not. And then I want to leave this last verse with you. I love this verse right here. This is so good for the young folks. This is, this is, this is a verse you ought to claim. There are some verses in here that are just only designed for young people. I, I can share several with you. Not for the rest of us that have been around a while. Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. You can still claim that verse. What a great blessing that it is. But here's your verse to claim right here. This verse hit me like a ton of brick. It did. I heard an elderly minister preach on this. and He was about 80 years old. He preached on this verse. And I tell you, it, it hit me like a ton of brick. And if you learn this verse in your youth, it'll be a great blessing for you. It was old elder Cecil Darty. He was almost 80 years old. And he preached on this verse. And he said, as we therefore have opportunity. And God's the one that opens the doors and provides opportunities. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. I've mentioned this here before, but there may be somebody that's not heard it. Elder Darty stood up in the pulpit. And he looked back over his life. And he said, when I look at this verse right here, it reminds me of all the missed opportunities that I had throughout my life. Well, I tell you what. I may be accused of prying on a closed door that the Lord hadn't opened yet. But I'd like to pursue diligently the doors that God opens. And if God closes them, He can do that. And I have come to the point that I'm thankful for closed doors. But I don't want to be guilty of not pursuing a door that might have been an opportunity from the Lord. God is in the business of providing open doors and opportunities. Pray that God will give you a vision to look for and to seize those opportunities. And then when He does, you go through it until the Lord closes that door. And it will amaze you at the doors that God will open and bless you to be used to be a servant. I met a fellow the other day, and I'm hoping he'll visit our church at some point. He, he said, I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for a church where I can serve. Well, that's what he's saying right here. You take what God's given you and you use it to serve others. And you're going to be amazed at how God, who is the one that blesses the fruit to be sown, the seed to be sown, how that God is going to abundantly bless your labors. May God bless you.